Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Storybox. Today's conversation uh, is going to be very, very different to a lot of my other conversations. Now, this particular subject matter is one that I have actually shied away from for a while because I wasn't actually well-versed in the subject matter. I kind of already knew what I believed and why I believed it in the first place, but diving further into arguments against this particular subject uh, I wasn't really aware of too much and so I decided before having this conversation before reaching out to my guest today which is none other than Lila Rose I decided to do a little bit of uh, research into the abortion debate which is a massive massive debate these days and you know I'm still trying to question why it's a huge debate because we're dealing with life uh, nonetheless, you know, I am pro-life. Uh, Lila Rose is pro-life. She runs one of the largest non-for-profit organizations called Live Action, which deals with the, the global pro-life movement. Uh, and I know there's probably some people here that are listening to this conversation that you're not pro-life, you're pro-choice and, and all that, all the above. Now, even though Lila Rose and I we share the same viewpoint in being pro-life. I tried to be unbiased as I possibly could during this conversation. And I asked her questions for and against to better help you guys that are listening to understand and get a bit of clarity around, you know, what is the arguments for and what is the arguments against. Let's bring them all together and compile them and see which ones you believe in the most. Now, uh, understandably, I could have gone even further into a lot of these these arguments, especially the ones against. And there were a few times during this conversation where I kind of had to bide my tongue a little bit because the, the information that Lila was sharing kind of made my blood boil a little bit. 
but nonetheless, I, I did my best and I appreciate each and every one of you that give me a bit, bit of grace, uh, especially because we're dealing with human life here. So yeah, I, I know that this, this is a story box and these are the kinds of stories that I do want to share. Uh, I'm not, personally, I don't see myself as an activist, but I know Lila is one. I know that she uh, is very highly intelligent and you're going to hear her speak in just a moment, but she has a new book coming out that I want to share with you, uh, which is called Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World, which I highly encourage you all to go get a copy of. It is a game changer. Uh, I've read half half of the book so far and I found myself relating to a lot of Lila's stories um, in the book actually, which is pretty cool just to, to be able to do that. Um, she also has a very popular show podcast, which is called the Lila Rose Show. Uh, and she tackles all about this stuff. So relationships, faith, culture, and politics. So you can go check that out as well. Um, she has been internationally renowned and, and named. Um, she's recognized as well in addressing these culture, cultural issues. People like Ben Shapiro, for example, um, has written a glowing recommendation for a book if you open it up and see. Uh, for those people that actually do know Ben Shapiro. Uh, but anyway, guys, uh, I won't belay on this point too much more. I won't talk too much more, but I do want to say thank you for listening and I hope you guys get to the very end. <laughs> it is a very fascinating uh, subject matter. I hope you guys learn something new and I hope you grow. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to myself or uh, reach out to to Lila uh, just by, you know, tag her on, on Instagram, Facebook, you know, social media. Uh, let her know what you thought of this episode. If you did, in fact, like it, um, share it around as, as best you can if you do want to. Um, I know this is not a subject matter that a lot of people do want to get involved in. Nonetheless, that is okay. Um, if you do want to and you feel obligated to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, please go and do that. I had fun facts. Uh, we were on Apple Podcasts, new and noteworthy. Uh, we were number three or four, I think. Can't remember. But anyway, guys, uh, I'll be quiet now. So you know what time it is. It is time to fight for life in this conversation. Essentially, that's what we're doing. <laughs> and dive into the story box and hear the story, the wisdom, the advice and yeah, just all around uh, intelligence of none other than Lila Rose. Thanks for having me, Jay. Excited to be on. I'm excited to have you on the show because like I mentioned in the title, you, or in the intro, I should say, you are the basically the president of Live Action, which deals with uh, the pro-life movement. Now, this is a conversation I've wanted to have for a long period of time. I've kind of shied away from it thinking I'm not really well-versed in the subject. So I decided to get well-versed in the subject <laughs> and come up, with, <laughs> yeah, come up with some questions for you to sort of answer. And I want you to be free. This is a place for you to share whatever you believe in. I myself am a Christian, so you can already tell my perspective on, on, on that. Mm -hmm. I am for pro-life. I will say that as well. Before we do get into that though, the question I love asking all my guests at the very start 
is what does success look like for you? That's a great question. Um, for me, success is ultimately being in heaven forever with God, <laughs> the love of my life and having as many of my loved ones and just as many souls as possible come with me. So that's my, my ultimate goal. You're the first person on my show that has actually said that, <laughs> um, which I absolutely love. And I'm curious, why, why is success that for you? When was the moment that you realized that was it this catalyst moment for you or was it more or less this gradual thing over time? Well, it's a, a lot of moments throughout my life that reaffirmed that, um, you know, we're all going to die. <laughs> I think we all know that. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of suffering and sorrow this side of, I believe, eternity. And, you know, I've, I've seen some in my life and, you know, had others in my life that have seen it even far worse. And, you know, I think we're all familiar with that. And, you know, there's also evil. I think evil is real and it's in our hearts as well as the hearts of those around us. And, you know, it's a battle, right? And my faith in Jesus Christ, who I believe is the one to um, restore humankind to be, be able to save us from death itself and evil uh, makes me, you know, my love for him makes me want to be with him forever in a place where there's no death, no suffering, no evil, and that's heaven. So mm. that's why I, I like you. I'm a Christian. That's that already obvious um, from my answer. But, um, but yeah, and, I, and it's a journey for me. You know, I'm I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. But discovering God, um, or allowing God to discover me at a young age, and then building my faith over the years by trying to learn more and get closer to Him has only strengthened my desire. What age were you when you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And, and what is the story behind that? Well, I think my first sort of realization was very young. I was like seven years old and I was raised in a family that was Christian. So I think it's mm -hmm. easy you know, when you're raised in that environment to have a very positive um, experience with Jesus Christ. And um, so that around seven, I think I really realized, oh, this is, you know, I'm being taught that this is God who loves me so much. He would give his life for me and save me. And so there was this kind of emotional childlike faith at that moment. And then as I got older, I wrestled with faith. And I do actually talk about this in my book, Fighting for Life, because those raised in Christian homes, if you're listening, you're raised in a Christian home, often at some point you have to, you have your doubts, you know, you, you reject certain elements of how you were raised. You don't like certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I went through this whole process, but ultimately I came back to um, faith in God and it was deeper than before. And it was more personal than before. And then eventually I actually became Catholic in college and that's where it even became more rock solid. And yeah, it's still, it's a journey. I mean, I'm still on the, the journey. You've never fully arrived until heaven, but um, I'm learning every day. <laughs> so talk to me about you walking away from your faith and away from God. What caused you to walk away from him? Well, I think there were a lot of just doubts about suffering itself. So I, you know, struggled with, and I talk about this in my book, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder and depression, some mental health issues, some self-harm in high school and, you know, some difficult things friends were going through and some dynamics in my family that were not healthy. You know, I have a beautiful family, but no parents are perfect. My parents brought their baggage, you know, that they hadn't resolved yet. My, my dad's own mental health struggles. And so all of these things festered for me. And I just was at this point where it's like, first of all, why do I, why, why is this stuff true? How do we know it's true? What's the evidence for it? You know, historically, how do we know Christ was real? And um, is there really a God? And then what do I do with this problem 
of evil. You know, why does God permit evil? Why does God permit suffering? So I had to grapple with this. And ultimately I came to belief that, you know, we are given choice we're given freedom as human beings. We can choose to do bad. That's the risk God took in loving us. Um, and then after studying um, the historicity of Christ and the historical record of the gospels, I mean, we could talk for hours about that. You know, I read Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, re- was reading, studying, and I came to see the, the 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 person of Christ as the most compelling person in human history, quite frankly, for me. And I saw his claim, I am the Messiah, as something I couldn't just ignore and pretend it was he's some other just good religious teacher. Like this is a man who's saying he's God and then he's crucified and he rises again and his followers die because they believe that he rose again. So long story short, I, um, you know, we come back to Christianity with my whole intellect. So, you know, it wasn't just emotional thing, but it was my intellect assenting to these teachings and seeing the truth in them. And then I just, um, yeah, have been learning since. What would you say to somebody that doesn't agree with anything you just said, that doesn't <laughs> doesn't believe that God was real or is real, mm-hmm. that he didn't come to this earth, he didn't die, there's no evidence at all, uh, we don't have a choice, that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, I, I respect you. Thank you for engaging with me. Um, people of all different backgrounds, all any faith or no faith at all. I would say, I think we do all have a faith in something, you know, some people's science is kind of their ultimate authority, Um, you know, but science isn't so much truth as it is a way to discover what is most likely true. Um, You know, science doesn't tell you how to act morally. It tells you certain things about the universe and about the human condition. And so I think we're all ultimately have a moral code that we choose to follow. It's just where do we get that from? You know, what is ultimately our authority? Are we our authority or is there something greater than ourselves that maybe created us and created a moral law code and created life after death? You know, that ultimately has the power over life and death. And do we want to discover more about that authority? And so for me, you know, I would kind of start with, um, the creation, like talk to you about your beliefs and whether or not how the world came into existence, um, morality, does it exist? What is it? Is there anything, um, you know, universal about it that we can, that we can point to? And yeah, I think it would be a long, a long conversation because there's a lot to a person's, you know, belief system or, uh, you know, the things that they hold to be true. And I think it, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a long dialogue, but I'd probably start with, you know, morality, what is it? And, um, creation. How did we get here, and what does it all mean? It's a big topic. <laughs> it's a huge topic. <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt we could uh, converse about this for a very long time. And I can relate to part of your story. I was reading bits of your book, and I was finding myself like remembering where I was as well, and some of the reasons why I walked away from God. And they were very similar to yours. So I, I appreciate you getting vulnerable in your book. And for those people that need to get a copy trust me it is well worth the read and i, I haven't even finished the book <laughs> I'm still, I'm still dying i forgive you <laughs> so i mean i i appreciate you saying all that because it does make a lot of sense and i think faith is one of the biggest uh, or belief more or less and i talk about this as, as well to a lot of different people belief is a huge problem in society and for some reason we 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 struggle with it and it's like, how can we believe in something that is, we can't actually see. It's kind of like we, we need evidence in front of us in order for us to actually believe it, but that's not real faith at all. Faith is, is knowing something is there without actually seeing it. Um, so yeah, anyway, I could go on and on and on, but I'm curious for you, Lila, in, in your own life, 
when was a moment for you that you least expected God to show up in your life that has given you this renewed perspective on, on who he is that, yeah. That's a really good question. Um, you know, uh, one, the first thing that comes to mind, the first immediate thing that comes to mind, so I'll just share that. I don't think this is like the only time I've experienced what you're describing, but, um, is the life of my sister Katerina. So I talk about her in the book too, because she's, um, really my, one of my best, very best friends. Um, I'm nine years older than her. So growing up, I prayed for a little sister for years. I had other siblings who were brothers and was so delighted when I was, you know, not nine to have a sister. Um, and then, you know, we, as we got into, um, you know, my twenties, she was in her early teens and then my thirties, she's in her twenties. We got, you know, a lot closer, but just watching what happened in her life, you know, she struggled with a lot of things in high school. She allows me to share her story. She shares it in the book that I, you know, I'm fighting for life, but fighting for life isn't just the pro-life fight in the sense of, you know, anti-abortion, but it's also, there's just a fight for each of, for each other, for all human lives. And so my sister, you know, had two suicide attempts. Um, she struggled with a lot of the things I struggled with in high school too. And, um, but God saved her. I mean, I believe it's a miracle that she was able to, um, survive. And not just survive, because after that happened, she struggled to find healing. You know, she, as a family, we went to a, you know, family healing camp together. We tried different things, but she actually experienced an unplanned pregnancy um, about a year after that suicide attempt. And it was actually the unplanned pregnancy that she says, and I saw it happen, this new spark in her, where even though it was something scary, she didn't anticipate fighting for the life of that baby and in a way gave her more courage to fight for her own life, her own health mentally and physically and spiritually. And then now she's a mom, she's married, she has her second son, you know, we're, you know, our, my son and her kids, you know, they play and just seeing her life come full circle because she chose love and because she chose sacrifice. And so she's my hero, you know, in the way she's lived her life and is living her life. And so watching that happen, I saw God in her, and I saw God um, change her life in a way that was so profound and beautiful. So that would be a, a moment for me that's been big in my own life. That's a powerful moment. And I don't think I'm up to that part yet in the book, but I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to get to it. Um, I want to sort of give people a little bit of context about what you do and how you got there in the first place before I start asking the tougher questions. <laughs> um, so how did you get started first and foremost with the pro-life movement actually starting live action? Sure. So I got started at a young age. I was in my early teens and um, I was, I guess, always pro-life in the sense that again, I'm from a big Christian family. So babies, you know, my, my sister Katerina, her ultrasound picture was on the refrigerator. And it was just like, you see, this is a baby. We were talking about exciting, being excited for this baby. So there was no question about the value of life. Um, but it was, you know, a little while after that, that I saw for the first time by looking for a book street in my parents' house, I loved reading. And I found this book that they had, I don't even know that they knew they had it, but it was shoved away in a bookshelf. And it was called A Handbook on Abortion by Dr. and Mrs. Wilkie. And the book had all this information in it, but most um, startlingly for me at the time, it had photography of victims of abortion. So you can actually see in the first trimester, this child, you know, arms, legs, a newly formed face. It's amazing how quickly that baby grows. People don't think, they think it's, oh, not a baby yet. It's just a bunch of cells, but it's a human life. And I saw this child with human features and, you know, about 10 week old 
um, child that had been killed by a first trimester section abortion. And I remember looking at that and just being confronted with this precious human life that had been killed. And I was so moved and I wanted to learn more. I was so, I was heartbroken in many ways. And so I learned at the time there were 3000 abortions daily in America, that this was legal, that this was called a woman's right. It was actually positioned as a positive thing, like advancement for women. Um, and the more I started to study, I realized actually the first human right is life. You know, mm-hmm. you and I, that right to live, to not be killed is before any other human right. Cause we can't enjoy any other human right without life. And if we are not prevented from, from, if we are prevented from life, then we are violated. Our first human right is violated. And if we do that for our children, when they're, they're the most vulnerable and dependent, we are instituting injustice at the core of our culture and in our legal system by permitting it. And so the more I studied, the more I was convinced that this is the human rights issue of our day. Most people do not see it that way. Uh, They've accepted abortion completely. They think it's totally normal. It's fine. They don't even think about it, or they even think it's a good thing. But when I looked at the fact of what abortion does to a human life, how it destroys, it's the violence that it is. I thought I have to do something about that. And so that inspired me to start Live Action, which is really focused on education primarily when we got started. And it still is today. We're the, the global um, educational leader for the pro-life movement. We also do activism and political advocacy. But we've just realized the power of truth-telling about the victim of abortion and changing the paradigm. You know, we've been told, especially myself as a woman, I've been told abortion is good. You know, it's your woman's right. And you take a step back and you think, wait a minute, why do I as a woman have the right to kill a child, especially my child? Who gave? Who gives me such a right? There's no real right to kill, um, but there is a responsibility to love. And there is a responsibility, even if this child's unexpected or unplanned, to fight for their life. And so I think it, you know, the larger solution involves all of us taking responsibility. You know, it's not just make women have to handle it all. Like men need to step up too. But the solution is always fighting for each other instead of ending the lives of those we see in, as inconvenient. There's so many arguments I've noticed, especially in recent times, that come against pro-life. And you mentioned a couple of them in there about how it's women's choice to end the end the life, which I think is is totally wrong. What about the the life that is inside them, do they have a choice? No, they don't. They just, because they can't speak yet, it's automatically deemed like they no. Um, It's a very hard topic to sort of speak about, but I want to speak about it because I think it's needful. And I have a lot of questions that I want to try and get through. Uh, The first one is when you first started uh, live action, did you find it difficult to actually generate any support? or people rallying behind you? Um, Yes. (laughs) You know, I think there's a lot of apathy around abortion and because it's not really seen by many as a popular cause, you know, I think thankfully to be anti-racist, for example, today, at least is seen by a lot of corporations and media groups and a lot of, you know, even educational structures is seen as a, a positive thing to fight racism. And that's a good thing. You know, it's a very good thing. But to fight abortion, to fight killing a child in the womb, dismembering them, poisoning them to death, unfortunately, it's it's not as popular. We need to make it the cause. We need to make it, you know, a leading cause that we achieve victory for, that we abolish this this violence. Um, so when I started live action, you know, I had some friends, 
you know, that I convinced to join the club, but, you know, it took time and it took a whole year even to persuade at the time my youth pastor at my church to allow us to give a early presentation to my fellow peers, because that was my, my goal at first, you know, educate my peers, educate other young people. Um, so yeah, it was hard. And actually in my book, there's a chapter prepare to stand alone, mm -hmm. which is, you know, if you're really going to be a change maker, if you're really going to be a revolutionary for good, for justice, um, and it's easy, you know, if everyone's cheering for you and saying, great job, and you've got a whole team immediately with you, it's not saying you're doing the wrong thing because there's still causes that are popular that matter. But is it really the, the most pressing cause that doesn't have the support it deserves? Mm -hmm. Because I think in any age, there's a cause, there are causes where society has accepted an injustice yeah. and it hurts to stand up against it. It's like sticking out a like a, a sore th thumb but it's so necessary. And so that's what the pro-life cause is. You know, it, it, there's, you take the hits, it's controversial. Um, and I have over the years, but it's more than worth it because I believe it is the foundational human rights movement for, for today. So why is abortion such a success, a, a, an accepted thing in society today? It's a great question. I think there's a lot of factors. Um, historically, there was a moment you know, especially in American history, and we, I think, exported a lot of this. Um, there was this moment when the women's rights movement, you know, the early feminists of the um, early 20th century, you know, the suffragettes, um, you know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, you know, they're um, the next women in line. They were, many of them were pro-life, but there was this moment in the mid 20th century where the sexual revolution was happening. I don't know, you know, if it's something you've discussed in the podcast before, but this time when, you know, sexual uh, freedom was seen as so key, you know, marriage, you know, don't have to sex in marriage, have sex with whomever you want, as long as they're consent, you know, it's kind of the bra burning hippies, you know, the seventies, whatever. And there was this movement in order to, I think, um, support that sexualization, you know, freedom to say, well, if we get pregnant, we shouldn't have to have a baby, right? We should, we're entitled to sex without pregnancy. We're entitled to sex without even love or marriage, if that's not our choice. And so there was this, I think, huge push. And we actually detailed this in a, in a mini documentary we did called how the sexual revolution hijacked the women's movement, where certain folks like behind, you know, the Hugh Hefners of the time, folks, a lot of them are white men, actually, in positions of power, wanted to um, persuade women to take on abortion as their cause when it really wasn't initiated by largely women. There were a lot of these male abortionists that were founding the abortion action organizations at the time. And so they were able to ultimately persuade um, some of the feminists at the time to say, okay, yes, I'll, I will add this into our plan because I guess you could be right in serious cases. Maybe this is necessary. And it wasn't um, the intention of the early feminists. And so what has happened today is now women's rights is synonymous with abortion. And I think there's a lot of fear behind that. You know, we fear um, pregnancy. There's a lot of fear around pregnancy. There's a lot of fear around, you know, single motherhood. And these are difficult things. They can be very difficult things. But instead of the paradigm of let's make things better for pregnant mothers, let's make things better for mothers who are raising their kids. Let's make things better for working mothers. Instead, we're saying, okay, just kill the child. Just, mm -hmm. just end the pregnancy, just end the life. And it's, it's anti-justice, it's anti-progress, but we've all just accepted it. And there's so many the last thing I'll say is there's a huge force that the abortion industry has become. I don't think people realize this, but, you know, in the United States, 
Planned Parenthood is a $1.5 billion organization. They spend tens of millions of dollars on election cycles, on politicians. They get half of a billion dollars from taxpayers. They have international affiliates all over the country trying to expand abortion. And they're very powerful and influential. They've been around 100 years. They have friends in media and entertainment and corporations and academia. And they have kept this like vice grip on women's rights as being having to be for abortion instead of actually true women's empowerment is not killing your child. Mm -hmm. But because of their huge power and their lobby, um, I think that's one of the reasons and just the the depth of their sort of um, the roots that they have sunk in our culture. That's one of the main reasons for and the sexual revolution are reasons for abortion today. So why is it having said all this, why is it that some in some places it is deemed illegal and then other places it's not. I think, I mean, it is the influence of the abortion industry. And I think it's also also some cultural trends. So for example, there are countries in Latin America where abortion is mostly illegal or almost completely illegal. Um, but Planned Parenthood is trying to change that and they're international affiliates. You know, they're in those countries getting activists, you know, getting really difficult cases saying we need to legalize abortion. Um, they did this in Ireland recently. They legalized, you know, they there's a lot of, um, international pressure and, and activist groups that came into Ireland. And there was also, I think, cultural shifts that are happening because the more, I think, distant we get from seeing human dignity, Jay, like the more we see um, other human beings, I think, as a means to an end and not as sacred, as, there's not a sacredness to the human person. And the more we feel an entitlement to live on our own terms at any cost, you know, like, for example, sex on our own terms, at any cost, even that cost is the life of a child because I don't want to be a parent, then I think it's easier for the culture to accept abortion. And I do think there are cultural trends towards this like life on my terms at any cost, um, especially in wealthy nations, you know, advanced nations, unfortunately, where we're so, you know, I think we're so privileged. We are out of touch with reality a lot of the time. You're going to find a lot of more developing countries that are actually far more pro-life than advanced nations because we're I, I think a lot of it is selfishness. We're so used to wanting it all in our terms instead of orienting our lives to focus on helping others and serving others. Is the main issue really about pro-life or is it more about, okay, pro-choice? Like if I, if I get an un, unexpected pregnancy, then my entire freedom, my entire world is completely flipped upside down. So is it still about preserving a person's individual right to choice of their own body, their own, I think we've already touched on this, but I'm just curious, like what, what, what is your viewpoint around this? Are you saying, meaning why do they call it pro-choice when yeah, it's really so about these desperate situations where women are like, I just can't, I feel like, you know, it's not, it's not, you're, you're basically, if I'm, if I'm understanding yours correctly, I think it's a good point you're saying a woman who has an abortion often, it's not like she's going like my choice. I feel yeah. great about this choice. It's like, Oh, I, you know, I'm single. My boyfriend is a jerk. You know, I have no, I don't have enough money. I'm in college, whatever. So I have to have an abortion, you know? And I, I think that is the reality for most women. You know, they, they're, maybe they're a single mom. They already have a child to feed. They don't know how they're going to take care of the next. It's very stressful. Um, they're a student, you know, they're trying to proceed in their career and I think that's another lie of the abortion industry. It's like, we're choice, we're for choice and empowerment. Um, no, what happens after a woman has an abortion, she's not better off. You know, if a single mom has an abortion, she's still a single mom. She just now has a dead child 
you know, as, as part of her, her family. And uh, there's a wound there. There's trauma there. There's a loss of a, of a beloved family member. I should have been a beloved family member. So, so yeah, in that sense, I think it's not real choice. Um, it's a lot of desperation and cultural um, focus on saying to women, you deal with it, your body, your choice, you take care of this instead of, oh, we're going to help you because nothing justifies taking a life. And that life is so precious and you're so precious, right? That we're going to fight for you instead of send you off to an abortion clinic. So what about the the conversation for men around this? Like, I know it's not in their body, but they are still part of it. Mm-hmm. What's their choice or their role in all this? Because sometimes they don't even have one if they want to keep yeah. if they want to keep the baby but the woman doesn't want to and how do how do we work around that yeah i mean legally men have no rights when it comes to a choice to, for abortion in, in most countries in all countries where it's legal meaning you know even if you're the you're married you're the father of this child you love this child you do you'll pay you'll do anything you'll take full custody you'd have zero say in the life of whether or not child lives or dies um, as long as that child is not born yet. So, I mean, that's, it's a, it's another part of the illogical heartbreaking consequence of permitting killing just because a child happens to be in the body of his or her mother, which is where a newborn, a preborn child belongs. That's the thing. We all started life that way. You know, that's natural. It's not a bad thing, but we've, we've, we've positioned it as such a threat as such a negative thing. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, a, it's a huge tragedy, but we need men in the fight for sure. You know, we need men who will fight for the women in their lives, who will fight for children, who will be unapologetically pro-life. Um, and who will say, you know, this is, this is a, a, a movement for me too, to, to serve and to love and to, um, help other people so that they can choose life. Is that because of like the political system, how they've put in certain laws to say men don't have a choice? I mean, it's not even a, uh, I mean, sometimes there's actually case law where it's explicit, you know, the man doesn't have a choice, but that's not even a conversation because, mm-hmm. um, you know, the paradigm of abortion, right? A- abortion on demand, legal abortion is, it's not even a baby. If it's a woman's body, they ignore that there's another body, a child. They don't even acknowledge the child. If it's a pregnancy without acknowledging, it's hard to believe we talk about pregnancy without acknowledging the child, right? You can't be pregnant unless you're pregnant with child, but that's not what the laws say. The laws just simply say, if you are pregnant, you can do whatever you want. You can have an, you know, have an abortion and there's different, you know, cutoffs depending on what state you live in. But there are seven states in the United States where, you know, I'm from where abortion is legal through all nine months. You can have an abortion up until the moment of birth. Um, And there's, you know, it's your right as a woman. So it's a very um, destructive legal system. I'm just trying to get my head around this, like, because most of that I didn't know. And I I also read, uh, this is an article from The Conversation. They said March, it was March 4th, 2020, nearly 75% of Americans actually condone getting Mm. an abortion. They're fine with it. They have no argument against it. And that means the other 35% of America, and America is a massive, massive place, (laughs) that's millions of people that don't have an issue with a life being ended. And I think that is totally wrong and bent out of shape. But for those people that need to understand uh, 
when life really begins because I think the argument is they they sort of if it doesn't have a heartbeat it's not alive so therefore it's not a human being so when when does life begin and why in the world do they use the term fetus uh even even when there is a heartbeat because I'm I'm mm-hmm. sick and, uh, I'm I'm trying to like maintain the calm here <laughs> but I'm sick and tired of people saying mm-hmm. it's a fetus and I I ultimately believe it's just another way for them to really uh, push aside what is really the truth. It's a human being. It's a life. You're just trying to diminish it, to minimize it. So for you, Lilo, and, and your work and everything that you're doing, when does a life officially begin? Well, it's not an opinion that I have. Um, this is what the science shows us. Uh, life begins at the moment of fertilization. So that's when a um, you know a woman's egg is fertilized by a man's sperm. And then you have a complete DNA set for a unique individual human life. Never, never, no one like it has ever existed. No one like it ever will. And that single cell embryo will self-actualize. I mean, that's the power. It's not like people say, oh, well, you know, it's kind of the gross comments of, well, if I masturbate, all these sperm are human lives that are lost. No, that's not scientific how life works. Uh, The single cell embryo will grow one day into a full grown adult, as long as it gets the nourishment that it needs and has has given the time to live, you know, it's not killed. Um, So a single cell embryo at the moment of fertilization comes into existence. And you know, it's amazing at 21 and a half days after that moment, when it becomes that single cell embryo, 21 and a half days later, the nascent embryonic heart starts beating and you can actually detect the heartbeat within just a couple of weeks of that. You know, that's why women at seven, eight, nine weeks go in for their ultrasound. I just had one actually we're expecting again. And I heard my child's heartbeat at seven weeks. You can hear um, the child's heart beating at seven weeks. And when most abortions happen are around eight, nine, 10 weeks, every abortion is ending a beating heart of a human being. And you mentioned the word fetus, you know, yeah, it's a technically correct term, embryo fetus. They don't need to be dehumanizing terms, but they're used as dehumanizing terms as if to say, if you're a human fetus, you're less valuable than a human adult. Mm. And I think that's ageism at its finest. You know, it's this developmentalism at its finest to say, just because you're a more developed human, you know, you're older and stronger, then you're somehow more valuable. No, actually the younger and more vulnerable you are, the more protection you deserve. We should be even more eager to care for embryos, fetuses, newborns, um, toddlers, because they need adults and they deserve our care. You know, we had that care. That's why we exist today. Um, and we owe it to those that need it. Have you ever been posed the question from someone that you haven't been able to give a good answer to? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure I have over the years, <laughs> but hopefully not this interview. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. I, I was just, I was just curious because it kind of leads me to my next part, which is someone coming up to you and saying, "Lila, you don't know my position. You've never been in my position before. I was, mm. I was raped. I was, uh, I didn't have a choice in that moment. I, I have a child in me. I don't want to keep it. Uh, what would you say to that sort of person?" Yeah. I mean, that's extremely hard situation that person is. And I first, you know, just sit with them for a moment and just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That should have never happened to you. Um, and, you know, assault and abuse, these things are way too common today. And we could talk about why and, you know, how to stop that. But, um, 
you know, it's, it's a horrible, horrific situation. Um, I would sit them down. I would try to get them access to care and support that they deserve healing that they so deserve. But I would encourage them and say, listen, you know, that you went through a horrible trauma and injustice, but an abortion is not going to heal the trauma you went through. I think this is the mindset today of abortion lobby is saying, oh, well, women who are raped, they need abortions. Well, let's think about that for a minute. Is abortion ending the life of a child, you know, in a way violating the woman's body again, you're, you're going inside her and ripping out a life. That is what an abortion does. Is that going to heal her? Is that going to remove the rape's trauma? No, it actually can only add another trauma. And on top of that, it's another injustice because that child, it's not their fault that they have a biological father who is a rapist. They are not the rapist. They are not the criminal. Their, their biological father was. And so for us to take out the punishment on them, to give them the death penalty instead of uh, the punishment on the, the, the rapist is an, an injustice. And in the United States, you know, we don't even give the death penalty to rapists. It's actually against our federal law to give the death penalty to rapists. So why would we give death penalty to a child because of how, because of how they were conceived? So that's a, that's a good point you raised there. And for the person that wasn't raped, but they had an unplanned pregnancy, they didn't expect it, they're a Christian. And here's what I find interesting. They have chosen to get an abortion, but they are Christian. They can't have it. They don't want their parents to know. They don't want any the church to know because they'll be ostracized. There'll be a lot of shame around it. How would you navigate that situation? Well, I mean, I, I would talk at length about what's going on in their heart and their head. You know, obviously I would do everything I can to prevent them from having an abortion because it's something that kills a human life. You know, I'd fight for that child's life and I'd fight for them because abortion's not going to solve their problems. It might seem like it's a quick fix, a quick relief in the moment, but it's something that comes with lifelong regret, especially as a person of faith, you know, knowing that there's a God who, if we put our faith in him, he can, he can help us, but he wants us to do right. You know, he wants us to do our best to do right. And to take the life of one of his children, I mean, God, God, God loves us. He doesn't want that for us. And so I would try to work with them. And I think shame is a big component a lot of the time. And I would just encourage them, listen, being pregnant, there's no shame in that, you know, being pregnant. I can understand shame around sex. If you know, you're, you're trying to not have sex before marriage, whatever, but your pregnancy itself is a beautiful thing. It's a gift. This child's a gift. And you know, you're an amazing gift too. You're a mom now, you know, and you should be honored for that. No matter how that baby came into existence, it doesn't matter. It seriously does not matter. What matters is you and this child. And so I would work to fight for that woman and that baby. And I would also question the church. Like, I don't know if the church would shame her if they would shame on the church, you know, she needs a new church because, um, I think it's very important that the church does not shame, um, unexpected pregnancy, you know, an unexpected pregnancy is an unexpected gift and we should be celebrating a new life. Um, yes, we have sexual moral codes we want to follow, but many of us make mistakes and some of us might get pregnant. And I think we need to have that understanding and forgiveness and acceptance and then fight for mothers and their, and their kids. What about the person that is actually, they are a Christian and they already have had an abortion and they're feeling this incredible sense of guilt and shame within themselves and they don't actually want to talk to anyone about it. Should they open up to someone or should they continue to keep it inside? Mm, that's really hard. Um, and I've 
talked to, you know, over the years, lots of women in that situation where uh, it's sometimes decades of shame that they just don't want to, you know, they haven't even told their husbands about, you know, if they're married, they have, you know, or their spouses or whatever, or even significant other, they haven't even felt like they could share that with them. And I think, you know, the very core of our faith is forgiveness, you know, and we've all, we've all sinned, you know, it's not like you're the lone sinner. Um, we've all done it and we've all warranted, I believe because of sin separation from God and we all need reconciliation. So I would hopefully just encourage her to say, you, you're, you're not made to live in shame. You know, God wants to set you free from that and he can forgive you in a heartbeat. He he's already forgiven you. If you'll only ask for it, you know, like the God, God does not hold on to anger against us. He loves us. And that child is with him and you know, you can use your, your hurt and your wounds in your own path. And I talk about this in my book, because I certainly would love to be able to use my own wounds and mistakes in my path to share with others, to help them maybe not make those same mistakes. So I would just encourage her, um, say that God doesn't want her to walk in shame. God wants her, her to experience forgiveness and healing. And, um, you know, she, I believe will be reconciled with that baby one day, I believe as, you know, Christian in heaven, um, and to move forward, you know, and, and uh, try to connect her to the, the help that she may need or the healing counseling she may need for that. I'm always curious about that point that you raise that you, you will see the, the killed child again in mm -hmm. heaven. And I'm always curious, like, what's that going to look like? Are they going to be an adult? <laughs> Are they going to what age? what mm -hmm. age and would they yeah what would what would god think of it when you do get to heaven like i know there's forgiveness and and all that sort of stuff but the bible also says don't take a life it's a life for a life so it's very interesting and i've got a lot of questions that i do want to ask god when i do get to heaven and <laughs> like me this too one, <laughs> this, this one in particular because i, I mm -hmm. do feel like you know society is going down a very dark direction and for us it is as christians speaking about this it is a very very difficult time for us it seems like we are being ostracized and put down even further and having a conversation an open conversation about it is becoming more challenging but it doesn't mean we should stop and i think you coming out with your book right at this moment is going to be a powerful thing. I think having these kinds of conversations, regardless of your belief system, I mean, I have conversations with people that I don't necessarily agree with all the time, but I still can respect them. I still can, you know, value them as a person. And I think the way you go about it is, it is respectful. It is valuing them as a person, their belief. So be it when may not be on the right side of things, but it doesn't mean we have to attack each other. I mean, you don't get, you don't really get anywhere if you attack another person. You got, you got to try and convince them. So, and you do that through leadership and and through your work. So, thank you for for standing up for for life. Really, um, it's it's inspiring. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Well, I think, you know, as people who are Christians, we have so many gifts you know, so many blessings that we, and freedoms and all this. So I agree, like society is, there's a lot of craziness, you know, in society right now on all different fronts. But I always think about like, again, back to abortion, you know, we, we have so many opportunities, you know, and so many, like now's a great time to be alive, you know, and a great time to get out there and fight for other people and to, 
you know, for Christians really live the Christian faith, you know, where it's not just coasting, just like everybody else going to church on Sundays, having the good life, whatever, but it's like, no, really getting in there and serve and fight and, um, fight for in a good way, you know, fight for love. And so, yeah, I, I think, um, I think it's great what you're doing on your podcast and all the folks you're talking to. And I hope that, yeah, I hope the book inspires and encourages people. Cause I, I do think we need that encouragement. Yeah. We didn't really touch on this, uh, although I, I would want to, but I think it's rather similar. I believe this, it's mm-hmm. still a life nonetheless. Someone that has, you find out they have a disability or, you know, you've got combined twins, that sort of thing. I still believe that is the similar, you know, life's going to be a little bit more difficult when they come out, but it's still going to be, you're still murdering them. Um, is there any, like, I know there's probably a lot of arguments around that sort of topic, um, just curious how you would navigate it. Would it be the same thing as what you were saying before or is it any, any different? Yeah. I mean, the, basically the, the standard to apply is would I do this to a newborn child? You know, like if, if my baby is born and the baby has a disability, mm-hmm. would I kill him or her? And I think most people I hope would say, no, no, you don't kill disabled people just because they're disabled, you know, or conjoined twins just because they're conjoined, conjoined twins. Um, so if you wouldn't do it to a newborn, don't do it to a preborn. They're the same human being, just at different stages of development, different ages. And your age, your stage of development does not change your humanity, does not change your human rights, should not change your legal status. You are that same human being and you deserve protection and respect. Love that. Um, now I want to get to your book for just a moment um, because I believe that it's going to be a change maker. Fighting for Life is the title. And... I'm curious if I was to open up to any page or chapter in the book that I'm going to get the most out of, that I'm going to like get a impacting challenge, which page or chapter would you recommend that I turn to? Okay. That's like asking yeah, an author, what's your favorite chapter? Um, <laughs> and we're like, we love them all um, <laughs> or we hate them all depending on like the day. Yeah. Um, so what is my, what would I say? I mean, there's a chapter called love. Uh, celebrate life unconditionally and celebrate life conditionally is in the last part of the book. There's three parts. The first part is getting started and like, you know, having the initiative to get out there and make a change. The second part of the book is like persevering and, um, you know, tools and tactics for how to be a good activist. And then the third part of the book is like these, these lessons for wholeness, because activism isn't just about what we do out in the world. It's about what happens in our hearts. And Celebrate Life Unconditionally is a chapter where I talk about my sister Katerina, I talk about her baby and her choice for life. But I also talk about how, you know, there's all this battle. Um, There's a cultural battle. There's all these problems in the world, injustices. Um, We can choose to just ignore it and kind of coast and pretend like everything's fine or we can engage. We should engage. But at the end of the day, what's the point? At the end of the day, the point is celebration. Um, celebration of each other, celebration of the good despite the bad, celebration of the beauty despite the ugliness, um, celebration of the light in in spite of the darkness. And so I would say that's like, you know, the a core um, foundation for, I would say, anybody who's out there in the world working to make a change is, um, you know, on the seventh day, God rested. We know that as Christians, he said, look at the world, it's good. And I would say life is good. You know, the world is good. There's so much good worth fighting for. And we should celebrate that. And the last thing I'll say is part of celebration is worship. And so to get spiritual here, um, we ultimately are celebrating 
God, you know, we're ultimately celebrating God and others and God who is King, I believe. And, um, the, the hopes we have for eternity. And that's, I think the, the most, um, authentic posture of the human heart, the most authentic posture of the human heart is yes, love, but it's celebration of the one we love. And the ultimate, uh, example of that, or the ultimate, um, manifestation of that is celebrating and worshiping the ultimate love, the, the one love who is God. Mm. That's beautiful. Where can people get a copy of your book and learn more about your work, Lila? Thank you. So Fighting for Life is um, available pretty much anywhere you buy books, probably Amazon, if that's usually where people go, but Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. And then um, my podcast is at lilaroseshow.com and Live Actions work. And you can follow our movement there at liveaction.org and then all over social media too. My final question for you, Lila, this is my all-time favorite question that I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family <laughs> have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. Well, I hope they don't pick the embarrassing moments in that or whatever, but um, what would I want to be in it? I mean, I want, okay, definitely the lives that have been um, saved that I've been privileged to be a part of their stories through live actions work. You know, we do a lot of education and connecting women to resources. So any baby that's alive and now, you know, grown up because of that, I would want them in the film. Um, definitely my family and loved ones. Um, I'd want in that film. Um, yeah, I mean, all the beautiful things I've been able to see and people I've been able to meet would be great to have in that film. I don't know what else. Um, all the smiling faces. I don't know. What do people, how do people answer this question? <laughs> I'm curious. Now I have to go listen to your other episodes because I'm curious what other people say. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's probably a start. Mm. I I can also imagine you getting to heaven and God actually saying to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. I I can imagine that, because that that would be the that would be the goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the goal. That's awesome. Yeah. What you're fighting for is is part of who who God is. He created life, and human beings, especially the ones that believe in Him, should be fighting for it as well. So I I appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you for the time that you've given me today. Love this conversation. Um, congratulations on your second child, by the way. Very exciting times ahead and for your new book coming out, Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. Go get a copy. Lila Rose, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jay. Great to talk to you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. 
And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.